just thank you for the way that you provided through your son, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray as we continue to lift his name high that you would draw men unto yourself. And God, that you would use this time to show us what you want us to know about this topic of love. And so, Lord, we just pray these things, asking and expecting. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Would you give Justin and the band a hand for a wonderful job? Thank you for a great song set. Well, good morning. That was okay at very best. Let's try it one more time just for the fun of it. Good morning. That is great. Well, we welcome you and those of you who are watching or listening online. Thank you for joining us today and being a part of our services. We're truly honored that you're here or you're participating with us. No question about that. We are honored. Being attractive. Do you think you could recognize some attractive people? You could, I mean, and, and, and I, it, it's eye in the, the, you know, beauty is now the beholder, as they say. But uh, Marilyn Monroe, you know, the people my dad's age, all the old men thought, you know, that was their hot girl back in the day. And she was pretty. One time I was dating a girl my dad didn't like, and he said, she's no Marilyn Monroe. What a mean thing. Well, dad, he didn't say it to her, he said it to me. But no, she wasn't. There's not very many. Modern day, J-Lo. Would you agree? J-Lo is a beautiful woman. She's very pretty. I am no expert on men, uh, on men being attractive. But I think a lot of women think Brad Pitt's good looking. Brad Pitt and I were born in Springfield, Missouri the same year, probably in the same hospital. He is wealthier than me. But if it got physical, I could take him out if I had to, I'm sure. Humbly, I say that. I say that. We have another picture of a man we, that was, uh, we were told... <laughs> That really wasn't supposed to be funny, but I appreciate your support there. And because I am a wise man, we have one more, more attractive picture. My wife, isn't that smart? Isn't that smart? Brownie points will get you everywhere. Well, today we're going to talk about becoming really attractive. And I want to just say this. If, if you say, well, I don't care if I'm attractive or not, you really don't care if your breast's bad, your hair's messed up, and you smell bad, whatever, then we need to get you help. That is a sign of mental illness, seriously. Most people do want to be attractive. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to see an attractiveness in a moment that is very possible for all of us to achieve. The, the, the city of Corinth was a strange city. It had been destroyed and it was rebuilt by Julius Caesar in B, 44 BC, 44 years before Jesus was born. And so about a hundred years later, Paul comes in there and starts a church. It's a wealthy town. It a, has a port, a lot of commerce there. It's very diverse, which is good. It has a lot of cultural diversity, a lot of intellects, which is good. And it's an immoral place. They, they say that when you said Corinth, it'd be like saying Las Vegas today, what that brings to your mind. And it's probably not, firstly, the Las Vegas Raiders. It's probably everything that goes with Las Vegas and what's involved there. And Corinth was a very immoral city. And, and the Apostle Paul goes there about 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, A.D. 50, and he starts a church. This is a city that needed a church. Five years after that, he's writing back to them. He's in Ephesus. We have this letter, 1 Corinthians. And the church is, in, the church is mixed up. It's doing some things good, but man, it's got some, some bad sexual immorality inside of the church, some really weird stuff going on. The people, uh, you have the intellectual Christians who are looking down on those who aren't. 
that is one of the problems in American Christianity today is we've made it more about knowledge than about the things that it should be about, first and foremost. They had people that said, well, I like this preacher. Well, I like this preacher. I like this preacher. They, so they fought about whose preacher was the best that they liked. They argued over spiritual gifts. They had problems with the men and the women in their worship services, had a lot of issues. And it's in that context that God, through Paul, writes this. In this 1 Corinthians 13, some people say, this is the greatest words God ever wrote through the apostle Paul. I'm not sure I would disagree with it. And I want to promise you, it's words that make us attractive. And I, and I want to tell you, I want to tell you this. This is the big thought this morning. Really loving people, really loving people makes you attractive. It makes you attractive. It, it really does. And we're going to see that as we unpack this in just a moment. But i just kind of chase a rabbit. How many of you want to know people love you or who loves you? Do you want to know who loves you? I want to know who loves me. Men, I heard this. I've never tried this. But they say if you'll go home and you'll lock your wife and your dog in the trunk of your car, well, I don't have a wife, my girlfriend. I like my, like my girlfriend. If you have a girlfriend and a wife, don't put them both in there. That would probably not go good for you. And you lock them in the trunk of the car, and you come back an hour later, and who's happiest to see you, the dog or the wife or the girlfriend, will determine who loves you most, right? Now, if you're taking notes, write the joke, J-O-K-E, because I don't want some bubba will do that, and then I'll get sued this week by his wife. That's, that's, a, that's a joke. 1 Corinthians 13 Remember the New Testament was written in Greek originally. And they had four words for our one English word, love. And it's a very expressive language. But the word love here is the word agape. And, and the agape love is a choosing to love people. It's not about emotions. It's not about feelings. It's choosing to be kind, choosing to be benevolent, choosing to act positively towards them. Okay? Now, if you're a Christian, everything we're going to see today is not optional. I want you to grade yourself, whether literally or, or in your head. Give yourself, how am I doing on these things? Because how you love others is the clearest determiner of how you are with Jesus. Well, I mean, I can win a Bible argument. No, 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 no. It, how you love people is, is the clearest determiner of how you're walking with Jesus. May, you may see today that you fail this and you don't belong to Christ. If you're not a Christian, here's the thing. Everything we're going to see today is really good stuff. It's really good stuff. It ought to draw you to true Christianity. You go, well, I, I'm repelled by Christianity. No, you're repelled by some fake Christianity or bad version of it. But what we're going to see this morning is very, very attractive. Here's the first thing. When you love people, you show patience. You show patience. Now, I want to also challenge you this morning. Quit thinking about everybody that's failing you today. This is for you and me to do to them. Don't think about all the people that need to be doing this better to you. Think about how you're doing to others. When you really love people, you show patience. Look in verse 4. Love is patient. The word patient literally means long-suffering. It means to suffer long. How many of you feel like you've suffered long with someone in your life? Amen. And people have suffered long with us too, haven't they? No question. Love is patient. And see, these are so pretty. These are so wonderful things. When you love people, you endure with people people that doesn't mean you put up with junk and 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 all continually it just means when you love people man you, you are you are patient with them now here's what you're thinking here's what I think wait a second you know at the house people aren't always patient with me are, are people, sometimes I'm around at work, they seem to get, you know, I get on their nerves or they're impatient. Well, that, that can be true. But if you think about the big, the big picture, most of us are really a lot more patient with those we love 
than we may think we are. Now, listen, when you tell somebody 20 times to do something and they don't, you might get a little bit frazzled, no question about it. If you're a parent, my suggestion is take their electronics from them. It will get done quickly, right? Sorry, kids, had to throw that in there for your, your folks. But you do. You, you put up with stuff. You endure stuff from your family and your friends that you love. A lot more than you may think or they may think. So don't kick yourself too hard. But why do you do that? Why do you put up with stuff over and over and over? Or why do you endure? Why are you paid? Because you love them. That's why you do. Love is patient. Man, it's a beautiful thing. You want people to be everything I'm fixing to describe. And, and this is what we should be. When you love people, you show patience. Here's the second thing. You show kindness. You are kind. You are kind. Verse 4. Love is patient and love is kind. The word kind means benevolent. And you do good things. You're useful. You are sweet. You go, well, I'm a man. I don't want to be sweet. Listen, it takes a, a lot more of a big man to be gentle and kind and sweet than it does to be a bully. Anybody can be that. It's the picture, one scholar says, of giving someone a loan. Now, don't ever loan out more money than you can afford to, to lose. But when you, you give a loan to somebody, you give money or something valuable to them, you're, you're doing something kind and hopefully helpful to them. Love is kind. It's useful. John Gottman is one of the top researchers in the world in marital uh, relationships. And here's what he says. One of the top two or three predictors of the, if a marriage is going to last and how happy it is is kindness. It's not money. It's not where you go on vacation. It's not all the toys you have. And, and I'm thinking to myself when I read that, it, you don't have to be a professional researcher to know that. But your marriage is going to thrive or it's going to stink based, first and foremost, how you love and how kind you are. If you're not kind to each other, you're going to have a lot of problems in your marriage. Man, listen, in Corinth, they weren't kind. They weren't kind to each other in the church. They, they weren't kind the way they were treating each other. That's a church. Paul said, man, listen, if you're right with God, you love people. And if you love people, it's not some mythical, subjective thing. You are patient and you are kind. Thirdly, he says, you're not jealous. You're not jealous. Man, jealous people aren't nice people. In verse 4, it is patient, it is kind, it is not envy. The word envy there, jealousy, it means a strong feeling for or against someone. Depending on the context, it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. Here, it's a bad thing. When you struggle with jealousy, you have a strong resistance or a negativity about someone and what's going on in their life. It's literally to seethe or to boil. Man, in Corinth, you go back to chapter 12, in this just one chapter back, they were jealous about each other's spiritual gifts. Well, I preach. Well, I do miracles. I speak in tongues. I do this or that. They, there was jealousy and there was infighting. And man, where jealousy is, it's, it's not a good thing ever at all. Now you go, wait, wait, pastor, I struggle with this. Well, good, you're being honest. But the more we love God, the more we love people, it's, it's interesting, the, the, the jealousy and the envy begins to dissipate. Now, is there a healthy and normal jealousy? Well, sure. If you're married or you're in a serious relationship with somebody and, and someone is coming on to them or they're doing something inappropriate, it would be very normal and healthy to feel uncomfortable with that. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is that when we have a displeasure because someone else does well, 
We're displeased because someone succeeded. We don't want them to do well. We're jealous and envious of that. That's, that's not love. Proverbs 27, 4, listen to what it says. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? That jealousy is worse than anger, and it's worse than fury. That is a bad thing. And, and, and I agree with what I read this week. Someone said jealousy is the least, the least fun of the big sins. Now, I'm not endorsing anything I'm fixing to say, but here's the truth. You know why people are sexually immoral. It's enjoyable. You know why people get drunk. It gets their mind off something. It's enjoyable. Or why they get high. It's enjoyable. Every one of those things. Why do people eat 50 bowls of ice cream? Because it's enjoyable. Amen. Now, the problem is, is it's not enjoyable the next day. It's not enjoyable that drunkenness or the affair or whatever. Those things can bring you temporary pleasure, but man, they will bring you disaster too. But envy doesn't give you any of that. There's never a point you go, man, I am so jealous that he's doing well. Oh, it just really excites me. It never does anything positive for you. And I think about my family. You know, I want my family to succeed. I want my kids to be, grandkids to be rich so they can take care of me. But also, I want them to be successful. You know why? And I'm not jealous when they're successful because I love them. If there's a jealousy problem, there's a love problem. Ask God to help you love those people. And it's interesting, when you begin to pray for and ask God to bless people you're having jealousy issues with, God will change your heart, whether he does anything else in their heart or not. Here's the fourth thing. You are not arrogant when you love people. You are not arrogant when you love people. Verse 4. It is not boast. It is not proud. The, bo the word boast means to show off. It means to promote yourself. That's what it means. To be proud is to be haughty. It's to be inflated with you. Listen again in Corinth, who he's writing to, they were prideful on their spiritual gifts. They were prideful on the things that they could do that other people could do. They looked down upon other people. They were prideful about their knowledge. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Knowledge puffs you up, but love builds up. Man, you want to be unattractive? Just be arrogant. Just look down on people. Be a, be a snob. Body language experts tell us, and I want you, you watch this on the news. When people are arrogant, one of the things they tend to do when they, they, they stick their nose up. You watch politicians this week when they're talking. Pay attention. One of the things they'll do in the, while they're talking, they'll start doing like this. We, we always talk about looking down our nose at people. That is a literal physical sign that a person's a snob. If someone does that to you, say, put your nose down and talk to me eye to eyeball. Nose to nose, right? That's what you tell them. Hey, get your nose out of the air and love people. You're no better than other people. I'm no better than other people. And you know what? When we love folks, that's a pretty easy thing to accept, isn't it? Love, love is not arrogant. Here's the fifth thing. Love is not rude. It's not rude. Of course it's not. Verse 5, love is not rude. Rude means unseemly, unmannerly. The Corinth people were rude. Look, look this up this afternoon when you get home. 1 Corinthians 11, they were so rude and unmannerly taking the Lord's Supper that God actually took some of them on to heaven. They died because of the way they were behaving during the Lord's Supper. That ought to scare you straight the next time we pass out the juice and the crackers. Amen? 
they were rude. Some of the women were being rude in their worship services. The men were being rude. Again, they were fighting over spiritual gifts. And he says, guys, 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 love is not rude. Christianity is not rude. There's a sweetness and a graciousness about it. Boy, I'm a man. I don't want to be sweet. Listen, again, it takes a lot more of a man to be a sweet, kind guy than it does to be an aggressive, gruff bully. No question about that at all. Now, wait a second. Can you do hard stuff? Can you fire an employee? Can you break up with somebody that you don't need to be with and not be rude? Absolutely. They may feel like you're rude, but listen, you, you can be nice. You can be kind. You can make the hard decisions about relationships and people and about situations without being rude. You don't have to be a jerk. And if you love people, you won't. This is worth writing down. I don't know who said it. It's not original with me. There's never a reason for a Christian to act in an unchristlike way. Never a reason for a Christian to act in an unchristlike way. Well, you don't know what happened. I know what happened to Jesus. There's never a reason for us to act in an unchristlike way. Here's the sixth thing. You're not self-seeking. Man, we need to hear this too. It's not rude. It is not self-seeking. What does self-seeking mean? It means it demands its own way. I want my way. I want what I want. You know, if you were to go today over to the children's building, we are blessed with great Pam and, and Ed over there leading it. We got, we got a lot of little kids. It's wonderful. But you know what you find in the children's building, especially the younger you get? Selfishness, don't you? And that's normal. We understand that. I mean, we try to correct it and all, but, but that's normal. Little ones are supposed to be selfish. The problem is a lot of 80-year-olds are just as selfish as the people in the nursery right now. You see, you can grow old chronologically and be spiritually and emotionally a baby. I've, I've, I've been a pastor 36 years this fall. I started pastoring when I was two. I remember it really well. But you know what? In, in, in my churches and what I've seen with most pastors I know is what causes trouble is selfishness. Now, if you're in a church where they're not teaching the truth of the Bible and the truth of the Word of God, you need to run. You need to get out of it. And that happens from time to time. But in a lot of churches, what happens is they're not singing what I like. They're not doing what I want. Therefore, I'm going to be upset. That's not love. Love is not selfish. It's not self-seeking. It's not self-centered. William Barclay was a great Scottish New Testament scholar. Listen to what Barclay, he says, when, when, when in your heart there becomes a strong emphasis about you, you are growing away from Jesus. When your life is more and more about you than about God and others, the team, the family, and the cause, you and I are growing away from Jesus. Man, that's absolutely the truth. You know who Michael Phelps is? Michael Phelps is one of the greatest Olympians of all time. Michael Phelps uh, has won 23 gold medals. I don't know if that's the record or not. But in 2004, you may not know this story, in the Athens Olympics, he had already won five gold medals. And his teammate, Ian Crocker, had not won any. He had been sick that week. His performance was not good. Now, he was, he was feeling better towards the end of the week. They were getting ready for the last event they were going to be, and it was the 4 by 400 relay. Crocker was not scheduled to be in that, but Michael Phelps at the last minute went to his coach and said, hey, coach, I'm feeling better. I'm going to step out 
and let him swim for me. They almost were certain that the Americans were going to win the gold medal. Ian Crocker said afterwards, or he said, I could not believe it. He said, I almost swept. He said, he was going to step back from getting a sixth gold medal to give me the opportunity to get a gold medal. He said, that so motivated me. I wanted to get in that water and do everything I could to help us win. And the, the relay team went out and set a world's record. And Ian Crocker went home with a gold medal. I don't know a lot about Michael Phelps, but you know what? That's a great guy. That's a great thing that he did. See, when you love people, that's how we behave. It's not about me. It's about you. And when we all have that attitude, man, is life so much better and so good. Here's the seventh thing. Man, you're not easily angered. You're not easily angered. You know, anger will get you in trouble, won't it? And when, you get, when you're a hothead, you tend to encourage other people to be a hothead. You know who Billy Martin and Mickey Mantle, both of them are dead. You know who they were? Great baseball players. Billy Martin was a great player and a great manager. Billy, uh, Mickey Mantle was one of the greatest baseball players of all time. And, and Billy was a hothead for sure. But one, one offseason, they were down in Texas going hunting. And Billy knew the guy where they were going. And the guy told him, he said, Billy, he said, just when y'all get here, come to the house. Let me know y'all are here. Then y'all go out into the pasture into the woods. So they pulled up. And Billy told Mickey, stay in the car. And he went in. I said, hey, we're going to go hunting. He said, that's great. He goes, Billy, I got to ask you to do me a favor. He said, I have a mule down there that I, I've had I, since it was born. And I love that mule. It's old. It's dying. The vet wants me to put him down. I said, man, I just cannot do it. He said, Billy, will you shoot my mule for me? He said, I'll go down there later and bury it. Billy said, well, I don't want to, but, but I will. So while he's walking back to the car, Billy Martin says, I'm going to play a trick on Mickey Mantle. So he gets in the car, and he slams the door, and he probably says some baseball-filled words. And he says, that guy just said I was the worst manager he had ever seen. And Mickey, he said, you were one of the most overrated of all-time Major League Baseball players. You couldn't even make a team today. I'm so mad I don't know what to do. And then Billy took off going towards the pasture. They got down the road. He could see Mickey was mad too. So he slammed on his brakes. He got his rifle. He said, I'm going to kill his mule. He gets out. Boom. About two or three seconds later, he hears boom, boom. He turns around to Mickey. He said, what would you do? He said, I killed two of his cows too. <laughs> Watch your temper. Watch your temper when you love people. Listen to what it says. Love is not easily angered. The word anger means provoked. It's not easily provoked, stirred up, boiling, sharpened. I like that definition. You know, a sharp pencil or a sharp knife can do a lot of good, but man, it can do a lot of damage. And when you love people, oh, you, you, may, you may get angry, but that's not who you are. That's not who you are day in and day out. Some people say, well, Jesus got mad. Yeah, you know why Jesus got mad? Because people were misusing the house of God. And it wasn't about, I didn't get my song. I didn't like the preacher wore blue jeans. It was about, they were pushing people away from God. That's why it got him ticked off. Jesus got mad another time or two when people were being mistreated. He never got mad because he was being mistreated. And he did something most of us can't do. He got mad and he didn't sin. So anger can be right, but it's got to be rare for it to be right in your life and my life. Neurologists, listen to this. 
Neurologists say each time you resist acting on your anger, you are rewiring your brain to be calmer and more loving next time. Think about that. When you make a decision, I am not going to fly into a rage, you are actually affecting the neural pathways in your brain to help you behave calmer and more loving in the future. Wow. Loving people doesn't mean you're not going to get exasperated with them from time to time. It's just that's not the motive of uh, the model of who you are. Love is not easily angered. It's beautiful. And lastly, love, you're forgiving. You're a forgiving person. Verse 5. It keeps no record of wrongs. That literally record is an accounting term, a bookkeeping term. You need to keep a good record of your finances and of things in your life. You need to be real careful about keeping a record of how people have hurt you. Warren Wiersbe was a preacher and writer for many years, Christian writer, and, and he said he knew a man who professed to be a Christian, listen to this, who actually showed him his journal where he had written the names of people who had done him wrong and what they'd done. And he said, Dr. Wiersbe, I keep this, and occasionally I'll go back and look just to remind me. You know what? If you've got that at home, you know what you need to do as soon as you get home? Burn it. You need to burn it. Somebody sends you an ugly letter, an ugly email, you, you, you need to maybe give that to somebody who can hold it so you can't get to it in case there's some legal issues or whatever. But man, you don't nurse that. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you stay in a bad relationship, that you let someone continue to hurt you, that you keep the bad employee. doesn't mean that. It just means that you're not going to let that person in that situation ruin and rule your heart and your life. You don't keep record of the wrongs. When you love people, isn't it interesting how we'll go over and over and over with people? We don't hold on to it if we really love them. Love lets that go. That's one of the things that makes it so beautiful and so attractive. How you doing? I want to share with you a card that we got last week. And most of the time, I mean almost all the time, if we get a card on Sunday or a letter or an email that's not signed, we don't read it because if someone thinks I need to lose weight and won't put their name on it, I don't care. I'll find out where you live and go eat a donut in your front yard. You know, I don't have the right to speak ugly or corrective to you if I'm not going to own it, right? So, so always sign your stuff. But last week as I was flipping through the cards Sunday night, I, for some reason I started reading this before I saw it wasn't signed. I'm glad I did. We have no idea who this is. We did get FBI handwriting experts to come in, but they couldn't identify you. So if you wrote this, we don't know who you are and certainly not bad. I wish I would have known so I could have talked to them. Preaching on love last week out of this chapter, they wrote, I can see I don't have the kind of love 1 Corinthians 13 describes. What do I do? How, how can I have that kind of love? I'm a Christian, but I'm struggling with this. I just have unloving feelings. Wow, what honesty. I would, first thing I would tell this person is they're normal. But here's the diagnosis. We're going to assume that person's a Christian. We'll go back to that in a second. If you really look at these qualities and you say, you know what, they're just not in my life. The people closest to me, if they were honest, would tell me they're not in my life. The Bible says you don't belong to Jesus. Well, I've been sprinkled, baptized, joined a church. That's, I'm a deacon. That's great. 
But if you don't love people, 1 John 4, 12, 20, excuse me, look what it says. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister, hates people, is a liar. For whoever does not love people whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. What you need to do today is you need to give your life to Jesus. When, in a moment when we have our invitation, maybe you want to leave your seat and come talk to a minister and let us help you give your life to Christ. If you're watching online or, or maybe just you'll wait, I, I'm going to lead us in a prayer to give our life to Christ in just a moment if you want to do that. We'll talk to you after church and help you do that. But, but the biggest problem maybe is that Christ truly is not in your heart. I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus this morning. But maybe like that person, you are a Christian. You can say, you know, I know I am, but something's wrong there. Well, it is, is something is wrong. And what I want to encourage you to do today is to make a decision to get back right with God. Get yourself back in church. Get your nose back in the Bible. Pray and pray and ask God to help you have the love for others that you need. It's something you need to remedy. You need to get it right at home or at the altar before you leave today. You need to get it right. Maybe you're here and you'd like to join our church or you're watching online and you'd like to. You certainly can. You can join after church or when we stand in a moment, you can come and join us. Man, we are a church. We want to love you and help you love God and love people. If that's what you're looking for, we're the church for you. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you this morning. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily I surrender all I surrender all All to Thee, my blessed Savior I surrender all All Jesus, I surrender all. at His feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning as a Christian. Is this you? Is your life and my life attractive? Is it exhibiting these qualities? This is, I want to know what love is. This is what it is. Man, are you living it? Ask God to help you. 
get square with him again. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, but you're ready today, say, I want to be right with Jesus. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I, I want to love as I should. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart. And Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I surrender to you, Jesus.
Who has paid my way with grace?